So I had a friend tell me once that I should practice my sermons on, like, the street corners to people, like, on the street, you know. And now I get to do that. I didn't ever practice like that. So um, I'm going to just give you guys a little warning. I get super distracted really easily, if any of you know me. And even up uh, when we're up in the sanctuary, the people that I can see, I get real distracted because I see people, like, flirting and, like, touching each other's faces or, like, texting or whatever. And I'm like, why are they touching their faces? And I get really distracted. So if there's, like, a squirrel that runs by, I'm sorry. That's my, like, focus going out. So I will try to focus um, here tonight. But I really actually am excited to... Sorry, stay on the rug. Um, I'm excited to have this be outside because, like, it reminds me that it is Easter. And I love Easter. Like, it is my favorite holiday by far. I love everything about it besides those, like, peep things. Those are disgusting. Um, Yeah, gross. Uh, but, like, I like dyeing Easter eggs and taking the white crayon, and then you put it in the dye, and then magically, like, there's something on there, because the white crayon shows up, and I love Easter bonnets so much that I made my friends make Easter bonnets out of paper hats last year with me. Oops. Um, I like Easter songs. I will have my, like, Christmas station, that's really my Easter station, just really on my YouTube, on my phone, that I listen to Easter songs, like, all week long because I just love Easter and I love Holy Week services and even more than that I just love the fact that Jesus died for us and then rose again like like Jesus rose from the dead and that to me I'm just like well like he rose from the dead why are we not so excited about this and so I just love Easter recognizing that God sent his son to be this propitiation, which is the removal of wrath from us, that by his blood, we no longer are bound to sin, we no longer are bound to evil, but we are his. And then he said, okay, I've conquered this sin, and I've risen from the dead. And that's what we get to celebrate on Easter, and that's why I just love it so much and get so pumped at this time of, this time of year. Uh, And I had, guys, I had, like, the sweetest start to this Holy Week on Sunday when it was Palm Sunday at my church. They, I always like it because you get the palms and you get to, like, tickle the people in front of you and they get really, like, distracted. (laughs) Um, But this Sunday they had all the kids come up front and they were singing a song and waving their palm branches and the pastor would ask them a question and they would respond and they would shout, it's Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And they just kept shouting it, which I love that in general. But the really, really cool part was there was this little boy up there that I had never seen at church before. And he was restricted to a wheelchair. And it was obvious that mentally and physically he was handicapped. Yet there was this little girl next to him who with her fist grabbed his and allowed him to wave this palm branch up and down as these kids were shouting, it is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And needless to say, I was like crying in my seat just watching this. But as I began to prepare for this sermon tonight, as I began to look at the parable of the ten virgins that we are talking about, all I could think about was, was him. All I could think about was 
Easter. And I was like, okay, but I'm not, I have to focus on the ten virgins and what this is about. And, and as I was actually thinking about it, I realized that this parable has everything to do with Easter. That this parable is about us preparing the kingdom as we are in eager anticipation for God to come. And we're in this place because Easter happens. Because he resurrected from the dead. That we wouldn't be able to be in a place where we are looking at the second coming that we're talking about tonight if resurrection didn't happen. Because we're literally in this place right here between resurrection and the second coming and that we are supposed to be like this little boy who no matter what distractions he had, no matter what was going on in his life, was sitting in the middle here praising Jesus and saying that it is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So we get to talk about Easter and this parable tonight as we look at it. So pray with me before we look at the parable of the ten virgins. Lord, um, (laughs) thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to earth, for rising from the dead for us. That you loved us so much that you would do this. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit um, just is at work here tonight that you communicate your truth, you communicate your excitement for these people and what you have in store for them. Lord, I love you and I pray this in your son's name. Amen. You guys actually probably can't really read it because it's dark now, but you all have a handout with the scripture on it. But before we read through that scripture, that scripture, just so you know, he, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He has just um, answered one of their questions, and they actually they asked him, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the close of the age? And we know that this close of the age was now the second coming because he died right after that. Uh, but he begins to respond to his disciples, and he begins to tell them all sorts of things like, you will have no idea what the time and the day that I am coming. He warns them about false messiahs, false prophets that will come. He just gives them this whole list of, of things to, to watch out for. And then he goes into four parables about the second coming. And we pick it up on the third parable at the beginning of Matthew 25. So I'm going to read it. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Without knowing any of the cultural connotations, without knowing 
kind of any of these like biblical meanings of words, we can look at this parable and we can recognize that it is saying that we need to be ready for the second coming because if we aren't, it might be too late. But if we stop there, we actually do miss so much of what Jesus is communicating in this parable to us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some of these like key words so you guys can kind of understand what the people that were listening to, what these disciples would have heard and understood as Jesus taught it to them. So first is bridegroom. We, throughout Scripture, are told that Jesus is our bridegroom. He is the groom and that the church is his bride and that actually our marriages here should represent what Jesus and the church look like, this covenant relationship, this oneness that they have together. In Isaiah 54, it tells us that our maker is our husband, that he is the Lord. So the bridegroom is Jesus. Second word is virgins. They, the, the Jews would have heard this word virgins and been able to say, yeah, this is a representation of righteousness and those who are chosen. And they also would have seen them and been like, yeah, the virgin's purpose is to get married and have babies and grow the family, or for our sake, to grow the kingdom. So their purpose was to grow the kingdom. And they were also referred to, like I was saying, as righteous, like right living, moral, and these chosen ones. And we read in the Bible a lot, and you might notice it says like, it refers to Israel, these Jewish people, as the, the virgin daughters of Zion. And they were these virgin daughters of Zion because they were chosen to be righteous, to go and show off light, to go and be righteous to the world so that they may see God. Yet what will be essential for us to know in that is that these Jews often didn't do that. They were settled in their own chosenness. They said, well, I'm picked, but they didn't actually behave that righteous towards other people. And then some versions of the Bible, instead of it saying virgin, will also use the word bridesmaid, which I like a lot because I think a lot of us can understand what the role of a bridesmaid is, even in this context. Because when you're a bridesmaid or a groomsman for a wedding, you are serving the bride or serving the groom. And that night, that day is all about them and you are doing what you can to care for them. And this is what these women were doing. Their job was to care for the groom, to care for the bride as he came. And weddings there were like two weeks long. There was like the procession of the groom and the groomsmen that would come, and they would go to the, the house of the bride, and then they'd have a ceremony there, and then they would go and have the feast back at his house. But like you see in this parable, you didn't really know when the groom was coming. So these bridesmaids were out there waiting for him to come, whenever that would be, ready to usher him in for him to be seen by the wedding as he got there. Third word is lamps. In the Bible, it talks about lamps a lot in reference to the Holy Spirit, in reference to our own soul. In the Psalms, it says that it is the lamp, God's lamp that illuminates our darkness. In Proverbs, it says that it is the human spirit that is the lamp of the Lord. So when you read lamp, it is our soul, it is our spirit. And then we have oil. And this oil obviously is something that was used up because they had to go and get more to light this lamp. And we can 
actually just continue reading in Matthew um, in, in chapter 25 and begin to kind of discover what this oil actually represents, what he is getting at that we need to have to make sure that our lamp is lit. So I'm going to read for you that, that part in Matthew 25 because he's just, so Jesus told the parable of the virgins and he told the parable of the talents that Dexter preached on about a month ago. And then he goes into this and he's saying that he has separated the sheep from the goats. This is another coming to the end that he is saying he separated the righteous from the unrighteous. And he's looking at the righteous and he's telling them this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these brothers, you did to me. The sign of righteousness was them serving other people. This oil that we are looking for is this service of other people. It is this right living that we are called to. And this is a theme all throughout scripture. John 14 tells us, Jesus tells us, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That this oil that they had to get was actually serving the kingdom and showing off Jesus, proclaiming him to other people. And now, I'm not saying at all that this is a by works, you're saved, because all of these bridesmaids, foolish and wise, they were all invited to the wedding. They were all given lamps. But it was a matter of what they did with that. They didn't have to be perfectly righteous to get this invitation or get this lamp. But when they didn't change their life, when they got this invitation, that's what got them in trouble. And then the last word that we're going to look at is Lord. When when they cry out, Lord, Lord, they're supposed to be meaning master. This person that I submit to, that my life is run by, that you are over me and I'm doing everything you tell me to. So with all of those words in mind, kind of with this bigger context of what they're saying, we're going to read that passage again just so you can kind of actually get a grasp of what it's saying. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, so ten people whose purpose is to grow the kingdom who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom, Jesus. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But when the wise took flasks of oil, so when they actually served people with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were gone to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went out with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, 
I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So, if we are to be like these wise virgins, then we must be sitting in a place where we are longing and waiting for this groom to come. And that we are longing so much so that we are prepared for him to come so that we walk into this preparation, which is said to get the oil, which is serving other people. So we go and we serve other people, and we go and we tell them about the resurrection. We tell them about this Lord. And as we are telling them, it is then that this light in our lamp is lit. And we have this fire, and we are then able to usher in Jesus into this wedding feast. And this makes sense. Because, of course, God wants our preparation for him to come to be letting this world know about him. Because he wants all of us to be a part of it. And the cool thing is that it is in our service that we actually draw close to Jesus, that we actually are excited, that we have this light. Sometimes we don't want to serve. We're like, somebody just needs to serve me. But really what we have to recognize is it is us serving others that we experience Jesus there. So going back to Easter, right after Jesus died and rose again, he then told his disciples, right afterwards, he said, go into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do as I have commanded you. And I will be with you to the end of the age that after he died and was resurrected, he said, go, preach this gospel. Go tell people about me. And they did. Because they longed for Jesus. They missed him. They wanted to be with him. So they were going to step into whatever it took to be close to him. And they knew that telling people about him and serving his kingdom would draw them into a closer relationship with him because they had the Holy Spirit. And they wanted to obey what he had told them. And this sort of longing is something that we all, we know how to do. We do it all the time. We've done it our whole life. Like when you were little, you just couldn't wait and you were longing to go to school. And then once you were in school, you were longing to go to high school. And then you were longing to get your driver's license. And then you couldn't wait to go to college. And then you couldn't wait to get a job and then get married and have kids. And we're always in these states of, like, excitement and getting ready. And then it's also really natural for us to, as we're excited, to be in this place of, like, well, preparation. Like, we're anticipating something, so we're going to get ready for it. So we want to learn to drive. We're going to go and take driver's ed, and we're going to practice driving. We want to go to college, we're going to fill out our resume, and we're going to do all these essays, and we're going to prepare for it. If you're in a long-distance relationship, you're going to be texting and calling to do anything to draw closer to them. <laughs> I, I even in sixth grade remember knowing this boy was going to ask me out. And so I needed to make sure that I was wearing like the cutest outfit, because I needed to be prepared as he was going to ask me out. So every day I'd write in my little diary, today I wore da-da-da. Um, because I was, I was waiting and I wanted to be ready and look good for when he asked me out. And 
I was wearing red sweatpants, the kind of little tight thing on the bottom, and a matching red sweatshirt turned inside out. So I was looking really, really great. But this is normal for us, that we are going to prepare for something we're looking forward to. Like if a professor told you at the beginning of the semester, hey, every week I'm going to pick one of you at random, and you're going to have to tell me everything you know about the chapter that you're supposed to read. You're going to come to class having read the chapter in case he picks on you. And so this is what it should look like with the Lord that we should be so longing for him, to be with him, that we're going to prepare, that we are going to do what it takes to draw closer to him. And he says, go and clothe those that are naked. Go and feed the hungry. Go and tell them about me. So we should. And as we do this, this light comes forth, and this is the light that is allowing us to participate in defeating the enemy. That in it's 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. So we know that Jesus has conquered death as we will celebrate and look at on Friday. We are in this place where we get to proclaim that to people and our light gets to put the enemy under his feet. So my question for you guys is, are you longing for him so much so that you are preparing the kingdom now? That you are serving other people, that you are telling them about who Jesus is and the fact that he rose from the dead. And if you're not, maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't care. When we don't care for somebody, we, we don't invest anything in them. We're not going to go, like, work on something with them or just worry about them. We, we don't care. Or maybe you're like these Jews who, okay, we're chosen. We're, we're this chosen people, and they just sit in that. Or, okay, we're a Christian. I got this invitation. I'm good. But that's substituting for any sort of action you're supposed to be making that you are making, that you're just sitting in that. Great example. We talked last week um, about kind of how we consume even in worship services. So we knew this about ourselves. But then yesterday, there's two posts that were made on Facebook. One, asking if anybody wanted to come help serve hot dogs here before the house. And the second one about buying a tank top. Well, tank top got 42 comments. Hot dogs, obviously there was no hot dogs because the only comments were a girl in France talking with Zach on that. <laughs> Literally. But we are able to be in this place where we know that that's not okay yet, yet we don't choose to serve that. We're saying, we don't care about the oil. We're not focused on that. That, that doesn't matter. People in the time of Noah were in the exact same position. God was like, you are going to die, so you better repent. And they're like, eh, we're going to just keep on eating and drinking and getting married and living life and doing this. And then it rained and they died. 
Maybe for you, you just get really distracted by other things and that you do want to serve and that you do want to tell people about this risen God. But you get into a place like you are now, like where you have three weeks left in the semester. And you're like, who's going to want me to serve with them for three more weeks? Like, I'm only here, and then I go home. And I can't really invest in a relationship because I'm only here for three weeks, and I don't really know who else I'd talk to. And so I'll just wait until next year. And then, so then you go home, and then you're at home in the summer, and you get there, and you're working your minimum wage job that is going to make you all this money over the summer. And you're just like, I don't really feel like trying. Like, I don't feel like actually engaging in a new discipline to get to know God. I don't feel like actually, like, serving. I just want to sit here and lay out or watch TV. But, but when I get back to Chattanooga, then, then I'll get involved. Then I'll serve. Then I'll live like Christ. And you come back here, and you are excited because there is community around, and that has pumped you up. And you are part of a core group, and you come and bring your friends to the house, and you begin serving the homeless. And, and then October comes, and you just kind of get comfortable. And you don't invite anybody else. You don't talk to any new people in class. Then you go home for Christmas and you realize, what have I been doing with all of my time? And you have this New Year's resolution and you're like, okay, I'm going to actually live like the Lord. I'm going to stop being mean to these people. I'm going to stop being like this and I'm going to go and sign up for a mission trip. And you do that and you come and, and the house on a Tuesday night is packed out because you're telling people about it. And then February comes and it gets dark and people just get apathetic and sad. And then you go on the mission trip and, and it's great again, but then you're back, back here and there's three weeks left. And you look at your year and you say, who are these people that I could have affected? Who are these people that could have seen this light, that I could have told about the Lord, that I could have served, yet I didn't because I thought that I didn't have enough time, that it wasn't worth it for me just to say hello to that other person. We sit in our own distractions. And this can be a huge cycle that people follow in their whole life. Like I always hear people like, I will all live for the Lord when I graduate from college. Oh, I'll live for him when I get married. Or when I have kids. Or when my kids graduate. But when's it too late? Right now, yes, we are living in this period of mercy where the thief on the cross, on his deathbed, repented, and he was with Jesus in paradise the next day. But we don't know when we will be in a time of this judgment. And God is telling us about this time of judgment because he loves us. Because he believes in more for all of us. He's saying, I don't want you to be lazy. You're capable of so much more. I mean, why would God want to give us the gifts of his kingdom if we're just going to be lazy with it? Like, why would I want to give a road bike to somebody that was just going to have it sit in their living room and they were going to sit on the couch? And tonight, like Jason said, inside the hub, we are having students who said, it doesn't matter about these distractions, it doesn't matter all these things I have going on, I know I have time to serve the Lord. And so they're in there with poster boards, um, just saying the places that they are serving because they would love for you to come alongside them. There's everything from 
inner city ministry to tutoring, just to working at orientation for the house this summer. All of these things that these students have said, we are going to choose to go and get our oil to prepare this kingdom for the coming of the Lord. And maybe for you, it's not that you were distracted, but you just got tired. Just got impatient. When is he going to come? When am I going to be done battling with this sin? When am I going to see fruit from my labor? So you lose hope. You fall asleep. And it's actually not the sleeping that's the problem, because in the parable we actually watch the wise and the foolish virgins both sleeping. But the wise ones were sleeping because rest is good, because they trusted that the Lord was going to actually be the one that ultimately takes care of these things, that they had done their work and could now rest. But these foolish ones had just given up. They had forgotten that Jesus had died for them and that he fulfilled his promise and rose from the, from the dead and that he would again. In Second Peter Three, it says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And this is what Jason talked about three weeks ago with the wheat and the weeds. That we have to be patient in this time because God desires for all of us to be part of this. So that when we feel like giving up, we need to remember that, that it is Christ that we are hoping in, and we need to go out and serve and tell more people about Jesus because he doesn't want them to perish. So he's not going to come and tell as many people know about him as possible. So we get to tell them. And this idea of patience, I really, really saw in that little boy that I watched on um, Palm Sunday. I'm sure he was so ready to be in this resurrected body of his that will happen at the second coming, that he wanted to be able to walk and be able to shout. Yet he was saying, no, I know that right now there is an urgency for me to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And this urgency is what we should all have. That as we are longing for the King, as we are preparing the way that we are urgent to tell because we're so excited about, about it, that God raised from the dead and that he loves us and that we should have an urgency to tell that whole campus about that, to serve that whole campus of students, that when you come to a church service or a ministry, that all those seats should be filled because those are chances for them to hear about this Lord and worship him. There should be an urgency for them to know about him and to see him through you, and an urgency to have your family understand this real relationship you have with the Lord, that you want to serve him, you want to serve abroad, you want to serve these kids here, you want to serve other college students that your family should know about that. And there should be an urgency to clean your roommate's dishes when they're dirty because that is cleaning dishes for Jesus. That is serving them. 
that there should be this urgency that we have these invitations that like if you are given them by a bride or groom that you're going to go and pass them out before the wedding is over. If we are to be like these wise virgins, we must go clothe the naked, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, be with the sick and those in prison, and welcome the stranger, making disciples out of all nations and telling them about how freaking great Jesus is. Right after this, we're going to sing a song that I have just fallen in love with. And there's a line in it, and it says, Church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead, he's alive. And as we sing this, we must recognize that we can be this church that can stand in the light because we can serve people, we can proclaim his name, that he is not dead, but he is alive. And really, when I've thought about this whole thing and really looked at what kind of sparked my interest in in Easter this year and, and in this parable, really who I'm drawn to is the girl that held that little boy's hand. She wrapped her fist around his and waved up and down. She was, as we should be, showing him that he too could proclaim Jesus as Messiah, as Savior of the world. That this is our job as we live between resurrection and the second coming, to let people know that they too can proclaim Jesus as Messiah, the Savior of the world. Because Christ has risen, he is risen indeed. Happy Easter, let's pray. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for um, your work, for your spirit, for, um, for just what you have done. I pray that your Holy Spirit seals a message upon us that we may long for you so much that we prepare this kingdom, we prepare this place for you and share just the fact that you have risen for us with all those around us. Thanks, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen.